Good morning. Uh, today's scripture reading will be coming from Romans 16, verse 25 through the end, verses 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore, through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. As always, it is such a blessing for us to be together as we worship the Lord this morning. My name is David Duran, and I am the church planting resident here at Doxa. Next year, the Duran family, which is myself, my wife, and our two daughters, we will be moving up to the Plymouth area of Massachusetts to begin the very difficult work of planting a church. Now, I know that I mention that fact to you every time I get an opportunity to preach, but I think it's real important for all of us to be reminded that, Lord willing, Doxa Church is going to have a daughter church up in New England in the very near future. That's right. And this is something for us to get excited about. This is something for us to celebrate. Now, there's, there's so much work to be done, but you all, Doxa Church, are going to be sending a team to an area of the country that desperately needs more evangelical churches. And praise God that this is something that all of us are working towards. This isn't just the Duran family and a handful of others who are, are working towards this thing. This is something that all of us as members of Doxa Church are involved with. So I, I plead with you to join me in covering this entire church planting process in prayer. Please pray that God will continue to develop our team. Pray that God will provide for us financially. And most importantly, pray that God would save souls through our ministry. Pray that God would draw people to himself in Plymouth so that he would receive the glory. We're totally desperate for God's spirit to move. If there's going to be any kind of fruit from this church planning adventure, we're desperate for the Lord to move. We're totally dependent on the Lord. Much like we are here, we're desperate for the Lord to do something. Well, what I want to do now before we begin in our text is I want to pray for our time together. And really, what I, what I want to encourage you to do is in your, your own way, make this prayer your own. Don't just let this be me up here praying, uh, but let this be a time where we're praying to the Lord together. Let this, let this be a time of corporate prayer that we're going to go into for, for just a couple of minutes, even though I'm the only one speaking. This is something that we're, we're doing together as we pray to the Lord. So let's, let's pray now, and again, I invite you to, to join me in your hearts as we pray. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now as people who are desperately in need of you. God, we acknowledge our brokenness. We acknowledge how we need you to restore us. 
Dry bones do not come to life on their own. Dead things don't come to life on their own. Human hearts of stone do not come to life on their own. It's only through the power of your Spirit, God. So Father, we pray right now that you would breathe life upon everyone who is gathered this morning for worship. God, we pray that you would draw the wandering heart back to you. God, we pray that you would humble the proud. God, we pray that the weary would be strengthened and the faithful would be encouraged. And we ask above all, Lord, that the Lord Jesus Christ would be exalted this morning. We pray that our hearts and our affections would be set on our Savior. We pray that our love for Christ would well up and overflow in praise being offered to him. May our love and our devotion to Christ be an undeniable mark of our church. Father, we thank you that you give us strength, that you're the one who leads us beside still waters. We thank you that we can be still and know that you are God. Lord, I want to ask that you would make us a praying church. Make us a people whose first inclination is to seek you in prayer. From the moment we wake up in the morning till the moment we lay our head in the, on the pillow at night, God, make us aware of your presence. Make us a people who know and understand how desperate we are for you. God, I pray that you would help all of us to see that nothing of eternal value comes from our own strength. Remind us that it's all by your power, Lord. Some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I pray that that would be the cry of our hearts, that that would be the cry of Doxa Church. Father, I now want to ask for your help this morning. I pray that you would use me for your glory. Please help me to speak truth here and help me to speak in a way that is helpful for everybody here. God, I pray that by your power we would get to the end of this sermon rejoicing and praising you for all you've done for us in Christ. God, be with us now as we look at your word, and I pray that the truth that we find in this passage, I pray that it would sink deep into our hearts. God, I also want to pray that you would give us a, a sense of focus and attention so that we can hear from you. God, please block out the distractions, the distractions of, of rain falling and buzzing cell phones and fidgety kids. God, I pray that those distractions would cease in this moment, God. I pray that we would hear directly from you. We ask all of this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was 1841 when a British survey team led by Sir George Everest first set their eyes on the mountain that would come to bear Everest's namesake 14 years later. Mount Everest, the 29,000-foot-high behemoth straddling the border of Nepal and China. Nearly 100 years later, in 1953, Edmund Hillary from New Zealand and a Sherpa named Tenzing Noge from Nepal finally reached the summit and stood atop Mount Everest. Well, Doxa Church, over the past year and a half, we have been on our own Everest-like climb as we have progressed through the book of Romans. 
in a time long, long ago when restaurants and movie theaters would be filled on Friday nights and when football stadiums would be packed on Saturday and Sunday afternoons, back before the term COVID-19 meant anything to anyone in this room, way back on October 6th, 2019, we began our ascent up the Mount Everest of the New Testament that is the book of Romans. Now, it hasn't always been a smooth and an easy journey for us. We've wrestled with some really difficult uh, concepts, some difficult points of application. I'm sure that God's Word has pricked our hearts in some ways that may have been uncomfortable for us. I don't doubt that many of us have had our, our particular theological constructs challenged as we've worked through this magnificent letter. I know that my thinking and the way that I view the Christian life has only been strengthened as we've worked through the book of Romans. And I trust that all of us in some way have been encouraged and built up in the faith as we've worked through this letter. Well, brothers and sisters, today is the day we've reached the end of our climb through the book of Romans. This is surely a bittersweet morning for all of us. And in our passage this morning, in typical Pauline fashion, this spectacular letter ends with Paul summing up and looking back at all that he's written with a simple yet very profound statement. Glory be to God. Now, before we start looking at our passage together, I do want to acknowledge something that I'm sure many of you astute Bible readers noticed. Our passage last week had ended with verse 23, and this morning we're starting in verse 25. So what's going on with verse 24? You might even notice that the English Standard Version, which is the, the version that we read out of each Sunday, uh, it doesn't even list verse 24. And the reason that I bring this up to you is that you might run into someone who will try to discredit the translation you're reading from because verse 24 isn't listed. I've seen plenty of Facebook posts and I've had multiple conversations with people surrounding this very thing. So without us getting too bogged down here, because there's a lot we could talk about in terms of this, just know that the early manuscripts that we use to translate our Bibles, they didn't have verse 24 listed. And if you're reading out of the King James or the New King James ver Version, you will have verse 24, which, by the way, it simply says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. So this doesn't really change anything one way or the other. Uh, this discrepancy, it's really such a minor thing that I almost didn't even want to bring it up. But you might meet someone who tries to make this a really big deal. And I think it's important for you all to know that it isn't a very big deal. And you, you don't have a corrupt translation of the Bible simply because your Romans chapter 16 doesn't have a verse 24. So that's why I wanted to mention that to you really, really quick here. So now let's focus our attention on our passage, which again is Romans 16, 25 to 27. I'm going to read it for us again, and then we'll start to unpack it. Paul writes, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, 
according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Although our our passage uh, consists of three verses, notice that it's really just one long sentence. And friends, this one sentence is packed full of importance. Paul is very deliberate with each word that he uses here. And in this grammatically awkward sentence, and the construction is even more tricky when you look at it in in Greek, but in this sentence, Paul is echoing the language and the themes of the entire book of Romans. By closing the letter the way that he does, Paul's being intentional about creating a framework for his readers. His closing His closing in this letter is remarkably similar to the way that he opened it back in Romans 1. Real quickly, I want to read that introduction for you from Romans 1. See if you notice the parallels as I'm reading this. So this is the beginning in Romans 1. Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason I wanted to read that for you and and the reason I want to draw this comparison here is because I want to prove to you how key the themes are in our text today. Paul opens and he closes his letter using very similar language and stressing parallel themes. And really, it seems that in our passage today, Paul has one comprehensive goal in his conclusion. There's one primary aim in his doxology, and I just gave you a hint there by calling it a doxology. What Paul is seeking to do is he's seeking to draw out praise from the believers in Rome by reminding them of what God has done for them in Christ. And that right there is my one goal for us this morning. I hope and pray that you'll leave here praising God with your mouths, and with your hearts for what God has done for you in Christ. There are are deep theological truths for us to cling to from the book of Romans, things that require us to really think on a very deep level. But if we get to the end of this book with our heads filled, but our hearts dull and dry, then we have missed the entire point. Theology should always lead to doxology. And I would even say that doxology, and that that word just means the, the praise and worship of God, doxology should be the goal of all theology. We study and learn about God so that we can offer true and accurate praise to Him for who He is. Let me reiterate that point for you. You cannot truly praise God if you don't understand who he is. Some people, they'll get all excited about 
singing praise and, and worship music, but then they totally disengage and go quiet the minute you start talking about the Bible and what it teaches. There's others who love to talk about the Bible, love to talk about theology, but their relationship to that truth is purely theoretical and academic. My point in saying all that is that theology and doxology, they must be closely linked together. And Paul, he models that for us here in this passage. Look again at verse 25 with me. Paul begins by saying, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. We'll stop right there. Paul, do, Paul doesn't name God here, but describes him as the one who is able to strengthen you. Paul is saying that according to my gospel and the, the preaching or the message of Jesus Christ, God is the one who is able to strengthen us. Paul doesn't end his letter here by telling the Christians in Rome that they need to remain strong. No, instead he tells them God will be the one who provides their strength. Some of you, you just need to hear that simple truth this morning. I believe for some of you, the reason that God brought you here was just to hear that. God is the one who provides the strength. You don't have to walk this Christian life in your own strength. You don't have to resist temptations and, and walk through trials by your own power. God is able to strengthen you. God is able to empower you as you live this life for Christ. Some of you have been trying and making every effort to be a good person and to follow all the rules. You're weary and you're tired and maybe you're even thinking about abandoning the Christian faith. Friend, if that is you, let me remind you, God is the source of your strength. And God strengthens us according to the gospel. The gospel is what causes our hearts to rejoice when we feel like we have absolutely no reason for joy. And at its core, the gospel centers on Jesus. It doesn't center on you. It doesn't center on me. The gospel is all about Jesus. The gospel is about what Jesus has finished and accomplished through his death and resurrection. Jesus has secured eternal life for all who place their faith and their trust in him. Jesus has secured meaning and purpose for all who cling to him as their savior. If you're here today and you, you don't know this Jesus who we love to talk about and sing about and worship with our whole lives, please don't leave this place without asking someone how you can know him. Pull someone aside and say, how can I know this Jesus that you Christians are so obsessed with? Your life will be changed forever, for the better when you come to see Jesus for who he really is. He is a gracious and merciful Savior. He gives strength to his people, and he is worthy of all our praise and all our affection. Here in our passage, Paul is reminding us that the gospel is the pinnacle of salvation history. The mystery of what God would do through Christ, it wasn't fully understood in the Old Testament. And it certainly, it wasn't fully experienced. 
There was a mystery to what God was doing. There was a, a hiddenness to God's plan and a hiddenness to his purposes. There was a time when no one could fully understand or experience the mystery of the gospel. That's what Paul is expressing when he makes the statement saying that the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. That's what Paul's getting at with that statement. But as we know, and as Paul says here, the mystery that was kept secret has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. At the proper time and at the right moment in history, God fully revealed the plan that he had from the foundation of the earth. What God had ordained in the prophetic scriptures of the Old Testament has finally been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You know, what a blessing it is for all of us to live at a time in history where we can look back and clearly see what Christ has done. We don't have to look forward to the mystery being revealed. It's already been revealed for us. We can see and understand the gospel with clarity. Praise God for that, right? When we look at both the Old and the New Testament, we can trace and we can see what God has been doing throughout history. We see that God's plan, it culminates in the person and the work of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. At the end of verse 26 here, we see another, uh, another aspect of the gospel that's important for us to understand. But before we jump into that, let's do a quick recap for where we are. Let's kind of set the scene, make sure we're clear on what we've, we've looked at so far. So far, we've seen that the gospel strengthens us. We've seen that at its core, the gospel is about Jesus. Paul has shown us that the gospel is the pinnacle of salvation history. And that at one time, the mystery of God's work in Christ was not fully understood, but now it's been completely revealed. And now, here at the end of verse 26, Paul reminds the Roman Christians that the gospel, it brings about a noticeable change in their lives together. The gospel brings about a noticeable change in their lives together. I'm going to read this for us again just so we can see this in its context. So stay with me here, but Paul writes, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God. Here's the part I really want you to hear. To bring about the obedience of faith. Friends, when the gospel takes root in our hearts, it changes us at our core. When the gospel takes root, a change in behavior is sure to follow. Remember, the behavior in itself is not what justifies us before God. We've seen that over and over again in Romans. We're not earning our salvation through good behavior and good deeds. And there's quite a few places where Paul makes this clear. Uh, the reality that salvation cannot be earned is one of the major themes in Romans. So if you haven't heard anything else from any of these messages, hear that. Salvation is not something that we earn through our good deeds and earn through our works. Just as a reminder, remember what Paul writes in Romans 3, 23 to 25, where he says, For all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Our works certainly do not save us, but one who has trusted in Christ for salvation, one who has believed the good news of the gospel, will live a life that looks different. This is not pull yourself up by the bootstraps Christianity that I'm describing. This is New Testament teaching. This is just what the gospel does when it takes root in our hearts. Our lives become conform to the pattern and to the example that Christ set for us. There's a gospel-centered obedience that springs forward from our faith. And Paul really, he sums that truth up for us in Romans 12.1, which we spent a whole whole week looking at just this verse. So after going into great detail explaining the gospel, Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Especially in our our recent sermons from Romans, we've seen the commands that Paul gives the church. We've seen how our love for one one another and our love for outsiders, how it, it should be genuine. How we should hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Paul's reminded us that we should seek to show hospitality and to bless those who persecute us. We've seen that we should be submissive to the governing authorities and that we should refrain from unnecessary judgment and laying stumbling blocks before brothers and sisters in the Lord. Each of these passages, each of those themes are examples. Each of those things as we live them out They're examples that show that our faith is genuine. There should be a level of obedience that springs forward from faith. Now, we certainly won't be perfect in this. We're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail in the category of genuine love. We'll fail in refraining from passing unnecessary judgment. But through the power of the Holy Spirit living and working in us, there will be fruit of the obedience of faith in our lives. We're dead to sin. We're alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing, though. This is important for you guys to hear. Here's the thing. The obedience that I'm talking about, the obedience that Paul is talking about in this passage, it comes when our hearts are centered on Jesus and centered on his gospel. It's not from your own power and your own determination. Don't think that I've just given you a list of things that you need to go home and try harder at and work harder at. Don't think that the commands that Paul gives are things that we should just rattle off and say, oh, I can do this in my own strength. Today I'm going to be better. It doesn't work like that. It works. The way that we're able to do that is when our hearts are set on Christ. That's the only way that we're ever to walk in obedience. What I'm telling you is that, and what Paul's letter, what it models for us, is that when you rest in the gospel, when you cling to Jesus, there will be an obedience that naturally flows from your faith. That's just the undeniable reality. 
rest in Jesus, clinging to the gospel, leads to, to fruit and good works. Don't try to separate that because they're, they're linked together. Well, Paul's letter here, it ends, in my opinion, in the exact way that we should expect it to end. Look again at verse 27 with me here. Paul says, To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. What a perfect and fitting conclusion to end the book of Romans. God's wisdom here, it has to do with his wise plan for salvation. We praise God for his glorious plan. This perfect and glorious plan culminated in a person and his work. And that person was Jesus, and his work was the cross. We give all glory to God through Jesus Christ. Friends, in a lot of ways, verse 27 should be the driving force in all of our lives. In everything that we do, in everything that we think, everything about us should be screaming, may God be glorified forevermore through Jesus Christ. I'm not exaggerating when I say this. Verse 27 of Romans can change your life. If you're looking for some kind of mission statement for your life, let it be Romans 16, 27. When I was in seminary, in one of the classes I was taking, they encouraged us to have some kind of statement that we really wanted to shape our ministry, almost like a, a mission statement. But the intention of this exercise was that this statement would help, help us to stay focused on what really mattered in our ministry. And mine was short and very simple. May God be glorified. That's what this life is all about. When we think about our church and why it exists, verse 27 of Romans 16 is the answer. We exist to glorify God forevermore through Jesus Christ. Parents, you can teach your children many wonderful things, things that will be beneficial and helpful for them in this life. You can teach them to be a good citizen, to get a good education, to manage their money well. All of these things are good things, and we should teach our children in those areas. But we cannot afford for our kids to grow up and fail to see that verse 27 encompasses their reality. They will be devastatingly disappointed, our children will, and we will, if we find meaning in anything else. Our existence and our purpose exists outside of ourselves. That's part of the reason why, or part of the reason that we exist is to be able to shout verse 27 from the top of our lungs. Our young people will struggle so much less with meaning and purpose in their lives if they can shift their focus from inward to outward and upward. I'm convinced that depression and anxiety would be diagnosed at a much lesser rate if more human beings were able to joyfully shout verse 27 the way that Paul does. So much would change if our focus left ourselves and instead became fixed on God and Him being glorified. 
Christian, if you will make verse 27 the mantra of your life, then so much of the sin that snares you, so much of the sin that entangles you, I promise you it will lose its appeal. If verse 27 becomes a core conviction of yours, the way you view your existence will change. And I don't, I don't think I'm being outlandish with that statement. I really believe that our, our lives as individuals and our life as a church together will change for the better if we're able to internalize verse 27. Paul ends his letter for us with a shout, a triumphant shout of praise to God. And brothers and sisters, I pray that our lives would thunder with this exact same echo, an echo of praise towards God in everything that we do. May everything that we do, may everything that we say, may everything that we think be done in a way that brings glory to God forevermore through Jesus Christ. God's glory will never end. His kingdom will never cease. We only have a glimpse of it now, but one day we will see the fullness of God's kingdom. We'll see the fullness of his glory. In Christ, we have seen the image of the invisible God. And through the work and ministry of Jesus, we see the apex of God's glory. The apex of God's glory is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that should cause all of us to well up in praise and giving glory to God. When we glorify God, we're making much of God. We're praising him for who he, who he is. We glorify him through our obedience, through our love for him. I didn't, we didn't go into that a ton this morning, but that's, that's how we glorify him. We make much of him. We reflect his glory to the world. If you will realize that and get that in your head and embrace that, I promise you it'll, it'll change your life forever. It's changed my life forever for the better. It's changed my family's life. I know many of you can testify to that fact. When our lives are centered on God and him being glorified, it will change you forever for the better. Church, one of the ways that we're reminded of the work and of the ministry of Jesus is when we celebrate and when we take communion together. And I know this is something that we do each week, and I'm so grateful for that, but it just seems especially appropriate for us to end our time in Romans by taking part in this celebratory meal that is communion. And as we celebrate this communion meal this morning, Remember all that Christ is. Friend, remember all that Christ has done for you. Remember that he is able to strengthen you. Remember that you are secure in Christ. I also want to remind you that there is a, uh, that we believe there's a real spiritual nourishment that takes place when we take communion together. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit here with us, we're spiritually fed through this communion meal. Let's remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after they'd finished eating, he took the cup, saying, take, drink, this is my blood of the new covenant, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you shall drink it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, as we come to receive communion this morning, again, 
Let's remember the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let's remember that he's coming again. We get to look forward to that glorious reality. Jesus is coming back. May we be spiritually fed through this meal. Communion is open for all who've placed their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, and even if if Doxa isn't your home church, you're welcome to join us in taking communion. If you're here with us and you are not a Christian, you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. And while this communion meal is not for you, it doesn't mean that this time can't be extremely beneficial for you. I invite you over these next couple minutes, think about everything that you've heard today. Think about this gospel message that we Christians are so passionate about. Consider what we've looked at and talked about surrounding the person and work of Jesus Christ. Think about what it could mean for you to live a life of meaning that's outside of yourself and instead focus on the eternal God who created you for his glory. If you have any questions about Christianity, about what it means to be a Christian, about the gospel message, I would love to talk with you after the service. Please come find me before you leave and we can talk more about who this Jesus is. So communion, it'll be served at two stations here at the front. And when you feel led, if you are a professing follower of Jesus, I invite you, go ahead and make your way forward. Well, I'm gonna close uh, this time in prayer and then the band is gonna lead us as we continue uh, worshiping the Lord. And again, as you feel led, you can make your way forward and take communion. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that the cry of all of our hearts, of everyone in this room, the cry would be, may God be glorified forevermore through Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would sink that truth deep into into our hearts, Father that you would help us to internalize that, that we would live that way, God. It wouldn't just be something that we say with our mouths and our, our Christian talk, but it would be something that transforms us, transforms the way we think, the way that we live in all aspects, where we think about our families and our money and our possessions. God, consume us with a passion for your glory. God, one of the ways that you're most glorified is through the saving of souls. So God, I pray that you would make us a people who are passionate to see lives changed and Christ becoming the treasure in people's hearts. God, I pray that you would save souls this morning, that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as their Savior, that they they wouldn't leave here without something being done about that. God, I thank you for what this study in Romans has done for me personally over the last year and a half. And I thank you for this magnificent letter. God, I pray that all that we've looked at, all we've studied, all that we've learned, God, I pray that it won't be soon forgotten. But I pray that the book of Romans will forever be precious to us, maybe in a way that it wasn't before we began the study of this great book. Father, I pray for the rest of our morning, God, that we would just continue to praise you.
glorify you and worship you. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for this time we've had of looking at your word and savoring you. Thank you, Jesus. I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.